0: Guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 17, we saw two occasions that indicated God's provision for the people. What we saw was water that came from a rock into which Moses was commanded to strike the rock. And the rock would bring forth an abundance of water to give over two million people water in the wilderness and this was once again as we've seen commonly uh, up to this point in israel's journeying towards mount sinai of god's constant provision for his people and then we saw a surprise attack by amalek and to which god had commanded moses that is moses commanded joshua to take some men and go and fight amalek and while Moses' hands were lifted the sense of dependence upon God, praise to God, as well as victory. While Moses's hands was, were lifted, Joshua was winning the battle. But when his hand became weak and would fall, the battle was beginning to be lost. And so therefore, Aaron and Ur devised a scheme that set a rock upon Moses where he can sit. And they themselves held Moses's hand up for the duration of the battle. Until Joshua won. And this was not only an indication of God's provision for his people militarily, but also was a teaching lesson to let them know that it is the Lord who will fight their battles and therefore they should depend on the Lord. Okay. Now, with that, we go into chapter 18. We see a very interesting little episode while they are still in the wilderness, mm-hmm. drawing even nearer to Mount Sinai, that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, will hear of, of his coming out of Egypt and what God has done, and his father-in-law is going to go. To meet him and give him some very wise advice. OK, so let's just go into chapter 18. It has some length, but it's basically a narrative. It's not a lot of deep discussion that you can get into it, but basically just some wise counsel. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses, father in law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away. And her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons, and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to, me, coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Okay, so here as I was talking about earlier we have In this introductory format, Jethro, who we already know and has been introduced even here, the father in law of Moses has heard about all that God had done for the Israeli people in the land of Egypt in delivering them. And so remember now there is an incident that you have to recall when Moses, when God had first commissioned Moses in the book of Exodus, Moses had failed to circumcise his second son, Eliezer. And so therefore God had uh, come to Moses in a disciplinary type sense, in a judgmental type sense, in a sense that Moses was almost about to die. And it was known why Moses was about to die. God was bringing this judgment on him is because he failed, Genesis chapter 17, he failed to circumcise his son. And therefore his wife had Zipporah had to circumcise his son. And the reason why uh, Moses did not circumcise the second son was because his wife considered it to be a detestable thing. That is circumcision. She didn't like that particular fact. But nevertheless, because Moses was in such a debilitated state because of God's present judgment on him, Zipporah had to perform the circumcision on the second son but how did she respond? She took the foreskin and threw it at Moses feet and called him a bloody bridegroom, a bloody bridegroom. So therefore she detested that. And it was because of this and because of the way she acted that Moses sent her back because she was coming along with Moses when they first went out. But because of the way she acted, Moses turned her right around and sent her back to her father. And this is why we see Jethro now as he hears of Moses coming towards where they once were towards Mount Sinai because Jethro was not far off from Mount Sinai because Moses was keeping Jethro's flock at Mount Sinai. But anyway, so he hears of Moses coming from the Egyptians and so now he is simply bringing back Moses wife and his two sons and then it talks about those two sons and it, and it gives uh instance of explaining their names which gives and which gives a snapshot or shows us Moses' mindset and so the first son he came he named Gershom, which simply means a stranger because once and this is when he was He left Egypt when he was fleeing from Pharaoh, when he was running from Pharaoh in the beginning, after he himself had killed the Egyptian early in the book of Exodus, and he was fleeing for his life. And there he met the daughters of Jethro and he ended up being marrying one of Jethro's daughter and taking care of Jethro's sheep. And he marries Zipporah, has a son, so he is in a foreign place. And it because of that idea of being in a foreign place, he names his son Gershom, that's his mindset. I'm in a foreign place. I'm a sojourner. I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger in a stranger land. Then the ne- next son, he names him Eliezer. And he simply says and notice it's very, very interesting what he says. The God of my father was my help. So the God of of help, the God of strength. That's the idea behind Eliezer's name, okay? And so therefore he is uh, thinking back on how it is God who delivered him from all of his uh, difficulties, saved his life, saved him from the Pharaoh, God who kept his life. But another thing too, the God of my father. Now, I don't wanna make a lot of detail in it, but earlier I told you about the name Moses. His name basically is a root of the names for the kings of Egypt. Remember, I told you earlier, go back and look on uh, the introduction to the book of Exodus. Ah, Moses, or it was the actual pronouncing Ah, Moshe, Thut And these were the names of the kings of Egypt. So when Moses was to come of age, remember, Moses was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince in the court of the Egyptians. And so when Moses was to come of age, it was natural for him to adopt a name of the foreign gods of Egypt. And therefore Moses would adopt it. So Moshe, Moses, that's the name Moses, is only a partial name. He had to adopt a formal name, which would be inclusive of one of the gods of Egypt. But as the writer of Hebrews lets us see, He rejected that name. He rejected be caught to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that's when the Bible teaches us that he went to look upon the affairs of his brother. So he rejected the Egyptian name that would have an Egyptian deity, Egyptian God associated with it. And so therefore he just simply kept it Moses. But here we can see Eliezer. That's why I took you guys all the way back in all of this. Now, even though Moses himself does not have the name after his own God, Yahweh, he does remember the name of his God with the reference to his son. So notice when he gives his son the name Eliezer, notice he says the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, not the gods of Egypt. That God has been my help. Okay, why? Because all that you saw that Moses did in the land of Egypt, it was, and remember, Eliezer was born before the powerful things that Moses did in Egypt. But nevertheless, Moses is still saying the God of his father is his God. Okay? So it was never a contest with Moses in that sense. All right. But anyway, so Jethro, so basically just turn on the theater in your mind. Jethro is coming to the place in the wilderness as they're drawing near to Mount Sinai. He meets Moses and Moses uh, customarily bows before him. This is not a bow of worship, but simply a bow of respect. OK, it's a similar bow that you would see being given to a king, not the same in worship. And so when they met each other, they just simply said, how are you doing? How have you been? How has life been treating you? And they went into the tent to commune even more so. All right, verse eight, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, his father-in-law before God. Okay. So now basically as life itself would take place, they go into the tent and the, and Moses just simply tells him about all the things that God had done, the wonderful things, the plagues that God had brought upon the Egyptians and how God had delivered Israel out of slavery from the most powerful nation and the most powerful king in the world and how that in their even journeyings up unto this present point, how that God had been with them and delivered them from all manner of trials and adversities. Remember, no food and no bread and no water. So Moses is simply rehearsing their deliverance from Egypt as well as their continuing journeys toward Mount Sinai. And upon hearing these things, the word had already gotten to the ears of Jethro already, but Moses filled in the details to tell him that. And Jethro simply began to praise God for his wonderful deliverance. And notice what Jethro says in verse number 11. Now I know that Yahweh, the Lord, is greater than all the gods. That is, all of these pagan gods. Remember, as we were talking about all of the plagues that God was bringing upon the Egyptians, each plague was a strike against one or more uh, false Egyptian gods. And that's what God was doing. He was destroying the gods of Egypt. And he was simply saying by these magnificent works in Egypt, there is no other God, but Yahweh. Yahweh alone is God. And remember how I told you this, how God had not only intended for the Egyptians to know this, for the Israeli people to know this, but for all the rest of the world, for the nations of the world to know that there is no other God, that whatever God that they are serving, if they are not serving Yahweh, they are serving an idol, a God who is no God. And so now notice the word that come from Jethro's mouth. He admits He himself confesses that Yahweh alone is God and God has established this fact from his mouth through the mighty works that he did in Egypt. So Jethro begins to worship God. So God is the point. God has proven himself to be God. Same thing, too. And I don't want to get into a lot of details, but we can see a semblance of this type of behavior in Jesus the Messiah. Notice what John said. John said, now I'm only choosing select miracles to tell you about that Jesus did, but if I told you all of the wonderful works that Jesus did, I suppose that all the books in the world could not contain the many, many miracles that Jesus did. And therefore, it has blazed out into all of the worlds. It's probably almost not a, a, a nation under this sun who has not heard something of this Jesus of Nazareth, the Christian God, and how he was established, uh, uh, stated to be this because of the wonderful things that he's done. So notice the same thing, how that the wonderful works of God declare who he is. Notice now here's the important point. Here's the important point. Thereby leaving the world, no excuse. No excuse. The sound has gone out Into all the world. The report has been given. Lord, who has not heard of the report? The sound has definitely gone out. Okay, but that's the point. So Jethro worships God by giving a burnt offering and sacrifices unto God. And then they ate a traditional, or should I say, a customary meal with Moses, being joined also by Aaron and the rest of the elders of Israel. Verse 13 It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood about Moses from the morning until evening. Now when Moses, father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, It comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Okay. So now we move into the next day. So Jethro is with Moses. He's watching Moses and he sees Moses go out and do what he normally does. And Moses sit in a, in a seat of judgment or the seat of judgment. You'll find out later on Jesus himself will be talking about those who sit in Moses's seat the seat of judgment, but nevertheless, but Moses sits in the seat of the seat of judgment. And and whenever there's a dispute among the people, they bring every dispute. That's the idea, every dispute to to Moses. Remember you have 600,000 men, uh, uh, and that doesn't count the women and the children, but the idea would be focused most dominantly upon disputes among the men. 600,000 of those men and imagine how many countless people had disputes, had issues that they wanted to bring to Moses so Moses can settle the issue. So it would be a lot of people. So it would be an all day long thing. So Jethro, seeing seeing this particular occasion, says to Moses, basically his concern was for, for Moses's welfare. And he says, you are going to literally wear yourself out. You can't do this all by yourself. And so what Moses simply let, letting him know was the situation was the people need to hear. They need clarity when there's a the dispute. They need the word of the Lord or the law of God. Now, even though we know that the law will not come until Exodus chapter 20. And remember, we're in Exodus 18 now. So, in whatever sense of whether there was a prototype of the law of God or whether God was literally speaking, has speaking to Moses instructions, laws or whatever, in principle sense of right and wrong, principal laws of righteousness, righteous conduct, and standards of law, that sense without giving the law of Moses, which was to be codified later on, okay? But nevertheless, the people came to know how God would have them to live. 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands hundreds of fifties and of tens let them judge the people at all times and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you but every minor dispute they themselves will judge so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. Okay, so now Jethro in this section advises Moses on what to do. So as he is looking at Moses sitting in the judgment seat day after day, all day long, he simply tells Moses, this isn't good. It isn't good for you. It isn't good for the people. It's going to wear you out and it's going to wear them out either. And you can imagine, and you ever heard of a judicial backlog that we even have in our country, how people's court cases are put so long because they don't have enough judges to do all of this issue. Imagine if there's only one judge to hear all of the issue. And that's what Jethro is simply saying to Moses. And so he begins to say, Let me give you counsel. And he does it in a very humble way. Listen to me. He says, and if God wills it, that is he is not simply telling Moses, you take my counsel and simply do what I say. But listen to my counsel and then go and seek God. Pray to God about what I'm telling you to do. And if God gives you the okay, then it's a good thing for you to do. So he simply says, my counsel is for you to do. Hear the words of the people, hear the dispute, learn the statutes of God. As you yourself have learned these statutes of God, begin to teach them to select men of the people and these men will become the first judges of Israel. They will be judges of thousands. So it'll be one man who will judge a thousand. Another man will be judge over hundreds of people, another man over fifties, another man over tens. So you see each judge will be responsible for a greater amount of people. And we can see this same instance in our own judicial system, in our own appellate judicial system, because what he simply says is this. First, let these, let the lower courts, let the judgments be brought to the lower courts and let them judge the smaller matters. But if they cannot determine judgment from the lower courts, let them bring the harder matters to you, Moses. So Moses will become the final judge, or as we would call it in this country, the Supreme Court. So the lower courts, with the fifties, the tens and all of that. And so therefore it was the advice of Jethro to simply set lower case judges. But he also gave qualification for such judges. Notice what he says. Men who fear God, that speaks for itself. Hate dishonest gain. That means they are not subject to being bribed. And those who love the truth, those who want to hear the truth, those who want to dispense the truth. So in essence, he said, simply choose well-qualified, godly men, set them as judges. Let them hear the cases that, that cases before they come to you. And if they're too difficult for these men, let them bring the harder cases to you, okay? Let's see now Moses' response. Verse number 24. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell. And he went his way into his own land. Okay. So what was the result? Moses, of course, he went to God and he prayed. He got a favorable response from God. And so therefore he followed the advice of his father-in-law and he made judges notice of able men, godly, that means able as qualified as well as being godly men. And he set them according as Jethro had stated over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And these men would judge the smaller matters, but anything that was too difficult for them, they would bring the greater matters to Moses. And therefore in, in all of this, we now see Jethro bid his son-in-law farewell. Jethro indeed is a wise and godly man. Jethro, Sheik of Midian, descendant of Abraham through his wife Keturah. Thanks for joining me with that, guys. That was a beautiful lesson, even if I must say so myself. And one thing it does teaches is this, a godly man hears counsel. All right. Join me next time as we get into chapter 19 as the (laughs) Israelite people finally make it to Mount Sinai. And there God reveals himself to the whole congregation in adopting them as his people and he begins to institute the Mosaic Covenant. See you then.